continue reading with me, starting in verse 50 of 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Read with me 55. Read together, please. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, forasmuch as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The title of my message this morning is Resurrection Hope. Resurrection Hope. And... Um, where I'm going with this is just how does the resurrection give us hope in our daily life today? How does the resurrection give you hope as you go about maybe what you think maybe sometimes is the mundane? Or how does the resurrection give you hope when you're going through suffering? Or how does the resurrection give the persecuted Christians over in China hope? Or how does the, or how does the um, resurrection give those who are grieving a lost loved one hope? Um, how does the resurrection give hope to those of you working with girls club and boys club and you see the brokenness in the homes? I have a friend, uh, my wife and I have a friend that's over in uh, the Middle East and she works in uh, a refugee camp in Syria. Well, I think they move between various camps and uh, she sends messages every so often. She's a midwife and a nurse and she helps out with... Uh, you know, teaching women how, you know, when they're about to have a, uh, a baby and just all the things with child uh, birth and all of that stuff. And then she checks up on them, of course, once the child is born. And, um, you know, these are people that have suffered greatly. They're in a different place because they've been chased out by ISIS. Some of them have had family members that have been killed by ISIS. And she sees much brokenness. How does the resurrection give her hope as she works among those people? How does the resurrection give hope to those who are suffering from a war in their land? How does the resurrection give us hope? Because <clears throat> I think we look at the resurrection as a, a, uh, something that happened years ago, and we know that it's going to happen again when we are res resurrected with renewed body, new bodies, where this mortal will put on immortality. But I think sometimes I forget the power and the force that it is for my life right now, today, and the hope that it gives me today. And Paul here in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians was saying that to those who were saying there was no resurrection, you've got to be kidding me. If there's no resurrection, we as Christians are of all men most miserable. I mean, if there's no resurrection, why don't we just go out and just party the rest of our lives and just drown our sorrows in whatever we can do to make ourselves feel better? because we are hopeless. I mean, the resurrection is the central force for our belief and for the gospel. It is, it is what gives life to everything you believe about God and about salvation. 
And it was just terribly good for me to think about that again. The resurrection of Christ gives the gospel its power. And I love the picture. I was thinking about this even this morning. I was jotting down notes during church. Um, So take the disciples. What happened when Jesus was arrested? What did they do? Hmm? They scattered. They forsook him and fled. Fear, whatever, they were scared for their lives. After Jesus rose again, and um, they faced persecution, what happened to him? I think of at least one disciple, or two disciples, I guess. After, the, after Jesus ascended back into heaven, and there was the day of Pentecost when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter and John were walking to the temple, and there was a man there that asked alms of them, and they instead healed him with the power of God. They healed him, and then they preached to the crowd that was there, and some of the religious leaders were not happy, so they took him into the council and basically started interrogating him again. Their lives were at stake to a certain degree. Did they forsake Jesus then? What was the difference? What was the difference? There was a resurrection. The resurrection gave them boldness and power and confidence. They didn't fear for their lives anymore. They didn't fear, and of all, I think all the apostles, I believe all of them were martyred except... um, John was, I think, exiled and died, maybe if you want to call it a more normal death. I'm not sure if you want to call it that. But I think the resurrection was the turning point for them to see what, had, what God... And, of course, they also then understood what God was about a little bit more. But still, that was just the central force. That gave them boldness and confidence and power. Christ's resurrection gave him victory over sin Satan and death, which is what we read about here in 1 Corinthians 15. O death, where is your sting anymore? Where is your victory, O grave? Because Christ brought it, Christ is victorious. If Jesus would have stayed in the grave, death would have won. But he didn't. And so now he has power over death. Our hope today, the hope you have right now in your life, And the hope we have in Christ, the hope we have in salvation, the hope we have in eternal life is rooted in a risen Savior. It is rooted in the victory that we have in Christ. It is rooted in Christ's victory on the cross or Christ's victory over death and sin and Satan. And because God or because Jesus is victorious as Christians, as little Christs, we can also be victorious today in our lives, in the various aspects, the various struggles, the various griefs, the various pain that you find yourself in, we can be victorious as well. Whether it's a besetting sin, whether it's uh, struggles, whether you're feeling defeat, whatever it may be, you can have victory today because Christ was victorious. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Victory always means there's a battle. But there is chance for victory. Satan wants you to feel defeated. He wants you to feel defeated this morning. Those of you who work with Kids Club, there's times when I'm sure it looks discouraging. How do you help children from these broken homes? How? What do you do? 
And Satan wants you to feel that way. He wants you to feel defeated. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do. It's hopeless. We live in a world that is filled with hopelessness. You know, as Christians, we face struggles. We face uh, struggles, uh, griefs, pains, whatever. But we also face the struggle of denying ourselves. As Christians, Christ calls us to deny ourselves and live a holy life. And through his spirit, he helps us. But there is a struggle that comes with denying yourself that the ungodly do not know. But did you know there's a struggle that the ungodly have that you do not know? And that's being controlled by Satan, by just living according to the flesh, living the way he, you want to live and finding that, that bondage that you cannot get yourself out of. You know, they face grief and pain as well. The ungodly... They have loved ones that die. They experience health struggles. They experience pain. But they don't have the hope of the resurrection. But we do. We do. And it is our job to extend that hope to the hopelessness of the world. Christ is alive. And all power and authority have been given to him. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 1. I will, I don't know why, I just never really noticed what John saw before he gave the letter to the churches, but I was just blown away. I don't know, I, I think God just wanted me to see that. I just had never noticed John's description of the person that gave him the message to the churches, um, but it's very fascinating to me. John chapter, uh, sorry, Revelation 1, starting in verse 9. So John was on the Isle of Patmos, he was exiled there. And so it was, and that's what the first part of the letter here says, and, and he was, uh, says he was in the spirit of the Lord, and he heard a voice. And so this is beginning, um, let me just see where I'm at here. I may have given the wrong, oh, verse 12, I'm starting, let's start in verse 12. Starting in verse 12, so he heard a voice. And then he turned to see what the, who the voice, who was speaking. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sh sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand on me, upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth, and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. And then he proceeds to tell John what to write to the seven churches. Did you catch all that was in there? I am he that liveth, and was dead, and am alive forevermore. Oh, and I have the keys to death and to hell. That is where you and I get our life today, is out of that person right there that is alive forevermore. I, I just, I don't know why, it just really blew me away to read that, where he just said, I was, I'm alive, I was dead, and now I'm alive, and I will never die again. 
Christ is alive. Our God is alive. We sing the song, he is alive. Our God, he is alive. In him we live and we survive. Because God is alive. Because Jesus is alive, we are alive in him. Different places in the gospel, or actually in more in the epistles, Paul talks about being made alive in Christ. And when we come to Christ and give our hearts completely to him and ask him to come into our heart, he, he changes us and makes us alive. And that is because his spirit comes into us. The same spirit that is in him, that, or him, I guess you want to call it him. Christ comes to live within us as a spirit, as his spirit. And it's just that spirit that is alive that will never die again. It says also in Romans, if the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwell in you, and then I forget what else it says, but that also, can you imagine the spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. We are made alive. That's hopeful. What does it mean that Christ has the keys to death and hell? So I own a Toyota Corolla out there, and I was going to pull my keys, I forgot. But if I uh, would have had my keys, I would have total control right now over my Toyota, because no one else can go drive that thing, because I have the keys. I have full authority, I guess, unless you go make a new key quickly and get it put in. Holding the keys to something means you have the power and the authority over that thing. And I just love that he describes it here. Christ, he says, and I hold the keys or have the key to death and have the keys of hell and of death. Christ holds the keys to that. Satan does not. Satan wants you to believe that he does, but Christ does. He has all authority and power. and He is reigning and he will one day come again for all those who are eagerly waiting for him. So how does the resurrection give us hope in our daily lives? I believe the resurrection offers hope to all of us, um, no matter what we're facing. But how? How, do we do, how, do, how is that? I'm just going to name about four things, four different ways that the resurrection gives us hope, and I'm sure there's many more that you all could think of, and so I encourage you to Think of more in your mind and write them down if you want. But first off, the resurrection gives hope in God's word. His word is true. Did you notice what, it's, what John said about, about uh, this person he saw? In verse 16, he said, And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Where else do we read about in the Bible where it describes something as a two-edged sword? Yeah, there's something, I'm thinking of somewhere different. The word of God is quick, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword. And I think what John was saying here, out of his mouth when a two-edged sword is God's word. If, if Jesus would have stayed in the grave, all his teaching would have, the, the truth about his teaching would have stayed right there. The Sermon on the Mount would be more of a, and actually many people believe the Sermon on the Mount is not for us today. And I, I feel like they're almost saying that Christ hasn't risen because they're saying his word isn't, if it isn't for us today, then they're saying it's not really true. And if they're saying it's not really true, 
they're not really denying Christ rose from the dead, but they're, but they're kind of denying that, well, it's, it's, he's not as powerful maybe or as, as right as, as, people want to, as, as he is. There is, because Jesus rose from the dead, his word also continues today. His word, what you have here, it says the word was made flesh. Jesus is the word and dwelt among us. And he died, but now that he rose again, this word is still alive. It is still living. It is still true, truthful. The word is truth. Therefore, the promises you read in here are still true. They're still going to happen. They're still going to come to pass. We can know that for sure. And there is a comfort in knowing that the word is going to happen because the word is still alive. God's word is true because the word rose again from the dead. And we can trust God to fulfill his promises because the word rose again. God's word is true. I'm just going to, I didn't finish that verse in Hebrews 4. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The reason that the word can do that is because it rose again. It is alive today. The resurrection gives us hope. Number two, the resurrection gives us hope that we can be right with God. We can be right with God, in a right relationship with God. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews is a great scripture that kind of brings together or kind of takes the, the Old Testament and shows how the New Testament is, is fulfilling the Old in the sacrificial system. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 to 18. So this is talking about um, how the priest would offer sacrifices for the people and how Jesus now fulfilled that as the last priest in a sense he offered a once and for all sacrifice for the sins of the people. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 11. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. From henceforth expect. Sorry. For by one offering he had perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. So back in the Old Testament, they would offer um, animals and that shed blood of the animals was to cover the sins of the people. But that could never perfect the conscience. That could never truly take away sins. But Jesus', res Jesus death and then his resurrection and his infilling of the Holy Spirit into our lives now allows the sins to be forgiven. It allows our sins to be completely washed away and forgiven. And to have a continual relationship with Christ or with God now. God desires a relationship with you. And Jesus made that possible. In Acts 13, 38 to 39, it says this, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, it's talking about Jesus, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, all that believe are justified from all things, from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. The law of Moses could not justify truly. And Jesus 
made it possible that we can be justified. And as justified people or saints, we can be right with God. We can experience a right relationship with him. Have you ever, those of you who are married, or maybe not even married, but I think of married because that's a pretty close relationship. When there is a little rift between you and your wife, do you know what I'm talking about? And it can sometimes go a little bit till things are worked out. And the sweetness of that relationship again, okay, it's, it's made better. It's taken care of. We've made things right. We have worked things out. The relationship is right again. And how much more so our relationship with God. We don't have condemnation hanging over us anymore. We are right with God. We can, have, we can be in a right relationship with God. True forgiveness of sins. And so as I was thinking about studying for this sermon, two people kept coming to my mind in the Bible. And one of those was Peter. And I talked about this a little bit in Sunday school, but I'm going to say it again, I guess. Peter was quite the guy, but there's two things I always think about when I think about Peter. I think about walking on water, and I think about denying Christ. So Peter, just before Christ was arrested, or forget how long before then, Jesus said that, you know, you all will flee from me, and, and I'm going to be arrested and die and rise again. And Peter said, I will never, never deny you. He said, Peter, before the cock crows two times, you're going to deny me three times. He said, I will never deny you. I will even lose my life for your sake. And after Jesus was arrested and taken to the, before the high priest, Peter followed from afar off, and they let him into the outer courtyard and they had started a fire there, and, and Peter was standing there warming his hands. And a servant girl said, you were with him too, weren't you? And Peter said, no, no, I was not. Happened two more times. And he heard the cock crow. And it says, well, one of them says Jesus turned and looked at Peter. But either way, Peter remembered Jesus' words. And he wept bitterly. And then Jesus was taken to trial, and was crucified. And Peter never got to ask Jesus for forgiveness. I, I just can only imagine how Peter felt watching Jesus die on the cross, watching him go into the tomb, and knowing he had denied this person, knowing he had denied the one who he claimed he would never deny, and wishing he could go back and make it right. I don't, maybe this wasn't the case, but I just, I think it was. I, I think, and another reason why I think so is um, when Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared first of all to, some, to Mary, actually. But the women, after they went to the tomb and saw that the tomb was empty, they went back and told the disciples. And it says that some of the disciples, it, to them it was like idle tales, like they were just telling lies. But it says Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb. And, it, and in John, our, our lesson today in John, it says that, I think it was John, went as well. I think Peter was looking, I, I have a feeling he couldn't believe it, that maybe, maybe he would have another chance to ask Jesus for forgiveness, to say, I'm sorry. And in a moving scene, in the end of the, of the book of John, Jesus does just that. He asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? More than these? And Peter said, Yes. And we then read about Peter being a bold preacher for Jesus. I don't know. 
I just think Peter was looking to ask Jesus for forgiveness. He wanted that relationship with Jesus again that he lost, in a sense, when he denied Christ. And you and I can have that same uh, reconciliation with Christ. Christ came to reconcile us to God. The resurrection gives us hope of God's love for us. Romans 8, 31 to 39. These are some of my favorite verses. Romans 8, verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are, all, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have confidence and hope that God loves us because of sending Jesus to die for us and then raising him up from the dead. He did it for us. I believe the only thing that can separate you right now from Christ's love is your own rejection of him. And in a sense, I don't know if it just separates you from his love, but it will bring condemnation at the end, when the judgment day comes if you reject Christ, if you reject God. He is. God, God loves us, and he made a way for us to be right with him. And another way that he shows his love for us is by creating and making an intercessor. What is an intercessor? Tell me what an intercessor is. It says here in, in Romans, um, where is it here? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. What is an intercessor? A go-between. Any other descriptions? What's that? Yeah, leads your case. I, um, those are all right. What I thought about that I think is so wonderful is that Jesus is there on my behalf. He is beside, Je he is beside God. It says he's sitting at the right hand of the throne of glory, and he's interceding, which means he's on my behalf. He's there for my behalf. When you go to a law, get a, when you have to ever go to court, or hopefully you never have to for you did, if you did anything wrong, um, you might get a lawyer to help you out. And that lawyer is there on your behalf. I don't know if he's really a go-between, but he's there to kind of try to get your sentence lowered or something or to prove that you're not guilty. But this is different than that. This is different than that because Jesus, for one, knows you intimately. He knows you probably, uh, yeah, better than you know yourself or anyone else knows you. And he is there interceding on your behalf to the judge, the great judge, and saying, he's mine or she's mine. 
I know she's struggling right now. I know he's struggling right now. I know what they're going through. He's mine. Their name is written in my book. He is there on our behalf. There is something very special about knowing someone is there on our behalf, there to intercede for us. It, I believe that's another reason to hope in God's love for us. The resurrection gives us hope in our struggles and pain. As I said before, I think we live in a world that's filled with you know, pain and, and suffering, and we experience you know, health struggles. We experience um, grieving uh, from lost loved ones. There are some that experience persecution. There are some that experience pain in, uh, from war in, in their homeland. And, and how, do we, how do we find, how, how does the resurrection give us hope in those things? And I think one way is that the risen Savior understands the pain that we go through. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 says this, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Isaiah 53, 3-4, talking about Jesus. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. The risen Savior, the risen Christ, the one who died and is alive forevermore, understands your struggles because he went through them as well. He went through them as well. It says he was in all points tempted like as we are. And it says he's not one that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He can be touched. He is touched by your pain. He's touched by the pain that you see in people you're helping. He's touched by the struggle you might be experiencing. And because of that, we should come boldly to the throne of grace to find help. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to take the pain away right away. It doesn't mean it's going to go away. One of the struggles in me studying for this sermon is figuring out how the hope of the resurrection, how the resurrection can affect my situation right now. Because we've had a little bit of a, as you all know, it's been difficult figuring out how to help Victoria with her asthma recently. Things aren't working like they used to. And it's just, it's been frustrating. How does the resurrection affect me right now? How does the resurrection help my dad grieving from losing his, his wife? How does, how does the resurrection help bring hope right now to whatever pain, whatever suffering, whatever grief you might be experiencing? And I think one of those, re- one of those ways is by coming to the throne of grace because our intercessor understands exactly what we're going through. Christ may not take away the pain, the struggles, or the grief, but he can comfort us. And one day they will actually go away when we reach glory. And they might go away before that, but they might not. But he can, he, he does comfort us. We also have the hope that our struggles and our, the things that happen to us 
work together for good. Because we have that promise too, that all things work together for good to those, for those who love God. That doesn't mean that all things will be good for those who love God, but all things work together for good. All things work together for good. Something else, um, there's a book out that I read years ago called The Gift of Pain. I would encourage you to sometime read that book. But it's a, it's a book by Philip Yancey that he wrote with a doctor, Dr. Paul Brand. And Dr. Paul Brand was a doctor with the leprosy patients in India. Just fascinating. Did you know leprosy takes away the pain in your nerves? So leprosy patients, actually, their, their limbs decay because they, you know, they'll pick a hot pot right off the stove. They can't feel the pain. And he was using that to describe how pain is actually a gift from God because it shows that something is wrong. And, and it, it, it points us to maybe you know, finding a solution or, or figuring out what's, what's wrong. It, it's pointing that there's something wrong. We need to fix something. These leprosy patients would love to have pain so that they know to not do some of these things. And that may be a sermon later, I'm not sure. But it's a fascinating book. But our pain, our soul pain, or the grief, or whatever we may be ex experiencing right now, or the pain you feel for those you're helping, they can drive you to seek the risen Lord because he understands. I, I sometimes just hate pain. I just want to get rid of it but it actually can be used for good because it, it, it drives us. It can drive us to seek, God, to seek God and to seek the risen Lord. In our struggles, we need to look to the suffering and resurrection of Christ. And this is interesting. Um, as I mentioned before, uh, that book, The Gift of Pain, is by Philip Yancey, and I have another one here called Disappointment with God that I've read probably two or three times. Um, but in here, he writes a little bit about the resurrection and I never thought about this before, but he says that in his study of the Bible, he's noticed the difference in suffering with the New Testament writers than with the Old Testament writers. In the Old Testament, Job was one of those, and, and he, he cried out to God kind of in anger for a while. Um, but in the New Testament, the like Peter, Paul, when they talked about suffering, they always pointed to the resurrected Lord. They always pointed to Jesus' sufferings and resurrection. And why? What did that do to, um, to help them in their struggle? I think I'm just going to read a, a little bit out of this just to kind of give us an idea. Um, the apostles' faith as, faith, as they freely confessed, rested entirely on what happened on Easter Sunday when God transformed the greatest tragedy in all history, the execution of his son into a new day we now celebrate as Good Friday, those disciples who gazed at the cross from the shadows soon learned what they had failed to learn in three years with their leaders. When God seems absent, he may be closest of all. When God seems dead, he may be coming back to life. Easter Sunday shows that, in the end, suffering will not triumph. Therefore, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds, writes James, writes James. And in this you shall greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had, suffer, had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, writes Peter. And we also rejoice in our sufferings, writes Paul. The apostles go on to explain what good can result from such redeemed suffering, maturity, wisdom, genuine faith, perseverance, character, and many rewards to come. Why rejoice? Not for the mesoistic thrill of the trial itself, but because what God did Easter Sunday on a large scale 
he can do on a small scale for you. The afflictions addressed by James, Peter, and Paul would likely have ignited a major crisis of faith in the Old Testament, but, the New, but New Testament writers came to believe that as Paul expressed it, all things work together for good. We need to look to him in our suffering. Last one is the resurrection gives hope that there is meaning to our lives. The resurrection gives hope that there is meaning to our lives. As I mentioned before, as I've been studying for this, I, I kept thinking of two people in the, Old Test, in, the New, or in the Bible. And the one was Peter, the other was Mary Magdalene. What do you know about Mary Magdalene? There's one thing that often sets her apart. What is it? Seven devils were cast out of her. If there is a lady or a person who had a meaningless existence, it would be her. I don't know what that's like, but I can only imagine to have that kind of turmoil inside uh, as, as to have seven devils. But Jesus cast them out of her, and she followed Jesus from then on. You read about her every so often, especially at the end there where... Um, she was there, I think, at the, at the foot of the cross, and then also she went to the tomb uh, the, the first day of the week after he was, or the morning, Easter morning. But what do you think Mary Magdalene was thinking as she watched Jesus be crucified? Again, I let my mind run sometimes, maybe too much, so you can tell me if I'm way off here, but do you think there was a fear that those devils were going to come back? because the power that had cast them out was put in the grave? I don't know. But I wonder if there was a fear of that. And it's interesting that she was one of those ladies that went in the morning to the grave. And it's also interesting that Jesus revealed, I think she was the very first one that he revealed himself to. Because in Mark it says he revealed himself first to Mary, and then in John, it, it, it kind of gives a description of that, of that uh, meeting. I don't know. I wonder if, in some ways, Jesus, by revealing himself to her, he was saying, the power is still alive, and your life can still have meaning. Your life, there, there is meaning to life. The devils aren't going to come back because the power is still alive. I think the resurrection of Christ brings meaning to our lives. I think one of the great desires of humanity is to have meaning in life. And sadly, many people do not experience meaning. And because of that, they want to just, they find all kinds of ways to try to bring fulfillment, which leads to a lot of addiction. I think addictions help, help to medicate pain, but I think it's also because they want meaning. And so some people find a cause that's bigger than themselves. And it doesn't matter what cause, just so long as it makes me feel like I'm doing something that gives my life some meaning. We all, Christians struggle with meaninglessness sometimes too. Sometimes the mundane, mothering, in, day in and day out, getting up with kids and just, what, what meaning is to all this? Or working at your job and doing whatever, just day in and day out. Oh, the endless problems that come with working with customers. Never, a, just always, always, always. What for meaning is there to life? The resurrection of Christ brings meaning to life. Your life has meaning. You were created on purpose. And there is a reason for the events that God allows in our lives. I think the, the trial and death of Jesus was probably the most meaning, was probably the most, um, what's the right word? 
the most senseless or, or maybe the most uh, meaningless looking act because I think many people knew that he was being tried on a false basis, that they were trying to crucify him without having true um, evidence against him. Even, even Pilate couldn't find a way to condemn him. And so I, I have a feeling to the disciples, you know, they, they thought he was the Messiah, and here he died. How meaningless life had to feel at that point. And then he rose again from the dead. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. We have. There was purpose and meaning to the entire story of Jesus, to his death, to his resurrection, and there is to your life as well. There is to your life as well. In just whatever you may face, there is meaning and purpose. God brings good out of all things that we experience. And there's a reason that he allows things. It's not always easy to know why. I don't know why. Always. But there is a reason. If Christ had not risen from the dead, we would not have hope. But Christ is risen and is alive forevermore. Therefore, we have hope, and we can offer hope to a world immersed in hopelessness. Let's kneel for prayer. God, I thank you for this Easter day, this day that we celebrate the, uh, the risen Savior. God, I thank you for Christ's death, his, his um, shedding his blood for our sake, for our sins, that we can be saved. And thank you also for bringing him back to life, that now we can live in newness of life as well, that we can live with hope in our lives. We are not hopeless, but hope-filled. Um, pray that you would help us, God. Even as Christians, sometimes we struggle with hopelessness. Sometimes we struggle with despair and wondering what life is all about, wondering what, why these things happen, or, or, or even struggling maybe to trust your word always. But God, because of, because of the uh, risenness of Christ, we can hope, and we have hope. And help us just to look to Christ, to look to his, um, his resurrection, and his interceding for us as ways to find hope in our situations. As we go about our daily lives, help us to reflect that hope to others, to a, a hopeless world or a world that is steeped in hopelessness. God, I pray that you would just continue to guide us and direct us. And as we go through our day-to-day, -day, may you keep us in your care. Be with all those, all of, uh, each one here, God. You know our each situation. We know each of our struggles, our joys. And may you just continue to impact our lives and help us to grow closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.